This episode is brought to you by Voyager and Mina. Stay tuned for more information on both later in the episode. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Crypto never sleeps. Millions of traders and investors around the world demand 24-7 access to exchanges, moving billions of dollars in and out of positions on a daily basis. Running an exchange has to be the hardest job in all of crypto. This task probably becomes even harder when your platform is the world's largest exchange by volume. Fortunately for us in the crypto space, we have leaders like Changpeng Zhao, who we all know it's easy to take on monumental tasks like these. It's my goal today to better understand what it's like to run Binance, what demand currently looks like, and what the future holds for the exchange and the broader crypto market as a whole. CZ, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Sikas. Thanks for having me here. So before we get into the questions, you are listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, art, trading, music, sports, and politics. This podcast is powered by BlockWorks. You can visit them at blockworks.co for access to the highest quality information in the space. And if you like the podcast and follow me on Twitter, you can join my newsletter, check out everything else I have going on at thewolfofallstreets.io. Now to get into today's episode, I'm asking for a friend, how does one get their hands on a coveted Binance hoodie or that amazing jersey that you're wearing right now? <laughs> hey, um, yeah, so, for, so basically we don't sell them, uh, but for people who are supportive of the Binance community in general, it doesn't have to be the Binance centralized exchange. We, when they ask, we give it up. So we'll get you one. That's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely amazing. I just remember when there was a time when they were like uh, more scarce and seemingly in demand than people NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, well, we, we try we try not to distribute too many of them so that they maintain a little bit of the prestigeness. Um, yeah, 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 so, uh, you got to keep, keep that scarcity. <laughs> so, so your your career, as I understand it, was actually built around trading and designing trading systems. Do you miss actually trading? Would you ever consider going back to it in the future? So to be honest, I've never really actively traded and I tried it when I was between jobs and I'm not very good at it. So I definitely <laughs> don't miss it. So I never did it as a profession. I never made money out of it. Uh, never never are able to. So I think our clients know how to do that, but I don't know how to do that. So I was never really a trader. So um, so that this, this is the reason why we don't trade. And I don't miss that. Oh, I don't, I don't know that profession. I don't admire that profession. I think people, those guys in that profession who do well do not admire, do not admire me. Uh, running an exchange is tough in its own ways, but just different skills. So I'm, I'm very not good at that and not looking forward, well, not, not planning to change careers yet. <laughs> but you're providing the tools for those traders. Why do you think that you, know, you wouldn't have that uh, positive relationship with them? So, uh, uh, well, so we have positive relationships with, with the clients, but um, uh, uh, this is like a blacksmith may not be a very good Kung Fu guy. There are some right. blacksmiths which are both good at both. Uh, and so, but there are a lot of Kung Fu guys who does not know how to make a sword or at least not, 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 not know how to make a good one. So I'm uh, the blacksmith type of guy. So I make tools for other people to trade. Uh, to trade, um, but I'm not a trader, so I'm not a. I, I like I make swords. I don't. I don't know how to use them. Uh, I don't. I. I know. I know the basics of trading. I know all the terminologies. I know the different uh, like the terms they use, but I don't have. I've never. I've never. I was never in a position where I was able to run a trading strategy that actually makes money. So just, it just, I, I never had that. Well, apparently that's true for 95% of people who try to trade. They completely fail. So I guess there's no surprises there. Obviously, at the moment, the huge craze as we're recording this is the dog coins. 
right? The doges and the shibs <laughs> of the world. And you, yep. and, and so you obviously, you listed shib and you gave a very, I, I thought very reasonable warning. You said, this is something that the customers want, very risky. How do you decide where the line is for what you will list and when you will list it? I, I, to be totally transparent, I totally agree. People should be able to trade what they want and they should have access to it in a safe environment. So I don't really see what the problem is, but I'm wondering how you make those decisions. Sure. So um, the, the highest factor that we look for, or the most important factor we look for is number of users. Um, but within number of users, there's many different ways you can define that. Um, so we can define that as number of users who, um, well, the number of uh, active addresses on a blockchain, the number of uh, daily transactions on a blockchain. You can look at Twitter followers, um, Telegram groups. Uh, and then once they start trading, uh, we can look at uh, the number of users holding the uh, coin, the number of people depositing, trading on the Binance platform, but that's after we list. Um, and then we can look at number of customer support requests who want who wants it. And um, so actually before the uh, sheep listing, um, we actually had another data point, which on CoinMarketCap um, is one of the largest watched coins on CoinMarketCap. So um, now, uh, so now that's another data point that we, we can use. Um, uh, it's, it, uh, it's from Coin Market Cap, so it's very relatively neutral and relatively reliable from our perspective. Uh, we know that data is uh, is real. So um, and also after we listed, uh, so on Coin Market Cap is actually one of the the most watched uh, coin uh, out of all the coins that uh, on Coin Market Cap. So this is a coin that's not even listed on Binance. This is before listing on Binance. Right. So we took that data as well. That that means this is probably a very high degree of interest. And then after we listed it, it's actually the number one most active coin traded on the, on the first day of listing ever. So, uh, so people, a lot of people don't like it, but the fact is a lot of people, there's enough people, or there's a lot more other people chasing it. So um, uh, the, sec the markets are very segmented in terms of well, like there's so many coins, only a, only a small number of people like a certain coin, but this particular coin is liked by the highest number of people on the first day of trading. So, um, so it shows that our data was correct. Um, people are actively chasing this coin. I don't know why, but that's just the data. You ran out of ERC-20 addresses, correct? Yes, so we, this is actually the first time in our history that we ran out of uh, uh, Ethereum uh, addresses for deposits. So we have like Ethereum addresses, we actually have multiple machines generating deposit addresses just to keep up with demand, but those generators were not enough for, for after this listing. So we, ha yeah, we had to scramble to get more generators on, on board and yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a whole complicated process. Yeah, so, so you said, obviously, and I can I concur, I have no idea why this is happening, why there's so much interest in this coin specifically, but do you think that it um, speaks to any trends in the broader market as a whole that you're seeing? So I think, to be honest, I think um, nobody really understands the market because I think right now in the market, there's probably more than 300 million people. Uh, it's probably bigger than many nations in the world. Um, so with that kind of mass population now, um, is everybody have a different psychology. Um, I guess right now, over gener gener or generally, like um, the meme coins are very hot. Um, Dodge coin is really hot because of Elon and this coin. Um, they were they were very generous with their token distributions. They give Italic 50 percent of the tokens. Um, we do not know how, who the who the founders are, how many they kept, um, but it's just getting traction. Um, we don't know why, but we we see we see the numbers and we follow users. So um, it's very hard to pinpoint exactly why. But right now, meme coins are really hot. I don't know why. But I mean, we I saw, kind of know why. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know why? Because there's FOMO and, you know, once something goes uh, mainstream with social media, it's very easy for it to become viral and become a thing. And also, I mean, 
it's not that surprising, I guess, when you put it in context of the fact that we've seen actual stocks of actual companies do the same thing. I, yeah. you know, I think it would have been surprising uh, if we hadn't seen GameStop, which is basically a dead brick and mortar company selling video games like the Blockbuster of 2021 having similar interest, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so like basically, like uh, people think I understand markets, but like we just provide a platform, and I don't know why users buy or why users sell, and each each one of them have their reasons. They don't tell us; they just place an order with us. So yeah, um, it's yeah, it's a, it's it's a you know, it's one of those things that people think I know, but I actually don't. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. But you know, yeah. when a stock is listed, obviously on the Nasdaq and the New York Stock Exchange, they have to concern themselves with the fundamentals, what that company does, making sure. But I guess in this space, that's not really concern. You just need the volume and the interest. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and and what do you make of the current DeFi trend in general? Do you think that that's still the direction that everything is moving? People are talking about a DeFi summer. Obviously, last summer we saw rug pulls and kind of a bit of a bubble pop in the DeFi space. But do you think that this is a harbinger of more of this craziness to come, sort of in the DeFi space? Um, I think that, I think DeFi will stay. Um, DeFi is a logically valid use case. Uh, you can loan your money for other people to to lend to a uh, 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 liquidity pool, so that that's used to provide liquidity, and then the the traders can trade against that. They, they get much better prices because of the deeper uh, order book or deeper liquidity. And um, the the traders are um, the retail traders are okay to pay for the trading fees, which are used to pay for the interest for the loans uh, for, uh, for, uh, for for the lenders. So that business model works. Uh, is, um, so I think there's a logical business model that that there uh, that has been explored. It works. Uh, so I think we'll stay. And we we're seeing that the total value locked on DeFi platform, platforms continue to grow. Um, last summer, I think, well, basically, Ethereum, Ethereum network has been congested for or like for the last few years. So it's already meet, reached saturation point or maximum capacity for the past, past few years. And given that, um, you're not going to see DeFi grow beyond that. Like Ethereum can handle like uh, 1.2 million uh, transactions per day at max, and that's it. Um, and we, because of that, more and more people want to use it. But then so the price gets pushed up, the, the gas fees get pushed push up. So, um, um, so, but now I think we, with Binance Smart Chain, we're offering an alternative venue for people to uh, have lower fees of, uh, of accessing DeFi. Uh, what we've seen is that the Ethereum uh, transaction did not decrease, but we, by now the Binance Smart Chain is handling four to five X of Ethereum tra uh, transaction volumes on a daily basis. It means that there's that much more demand, even without sacrificing the uh, demand on the Ethereum networks. That was, that was just that much more demand that they, wouldn't, they wasn't able, able to afford. $50, $100 per transaction fees, right? We're talking about US dollars, which is super yeah. expensive. So, um, so, so now we're seeing DeFi growing uh, again. Um, so we'll see, look, uh, I think right now the, the industry is actually, the industry growth is probably limited by the capacity of the blockchains that can handle it. So um, yeah, so we'll just have to continue to improve the technology and see, see where it goes. But I do think DeFi will stay. I paid two hundred and fifty dollars for an Ethereum transaction just today. I mean, it's yeah, you're a rich it's, guy. <laughs> it's it's really about it. no. Sometimes you don't, you kind of don't have a choice. But uh, yeah. like when you have to send a wire transfer to someone and you don't want to, but that's the only way that they'll accept uh, accept payment. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, those fees are obviously unsustainable. You guys have done something to fix that. Do you think that Ethereum can scale with two point or that Layer Two solutions can solve any of these problems, or do you think that? They've just hit their capacity and it's time for other other options. 
I, th I think the jury is out. I think the Ethereum 1.0 is definitely uh, saturated. It's like way beyond the capacity now. So that's why the gas fees are so expensive. And there's just that much more demand. Um, and with Ethereum 2.0 and layer two solutions, I think the jury is still out. Um, I think most people don't understand that Ethereum 2.0 will take a few years to come. I think Vitalik mentioned it a few times, but um, people, most people don't get it. And we think it's a few years out. I mean, Vitalik is a genius, so he may figure he probably will figure something out eventually. Um, but I think it's a really hard problem to solve. Um, they want to be able to run uh, each, uh, millions of nodes on uh, laptops with sharding so that to solve that problem. Uh, it's just a very difficult problem to solve. Um, to handle that kind, that kind of capacity. Um, but Ethereum, uh, but Vitalik is a genius. So uh, who knows what he can deliver. Um, so the jury's still out, we have to see. Uh, layer two solutions, I'm somewhat skeptical to be honest. Um, they are a har much harder to use. Um, they require much more technical expertise from the users. And they actually sometimes require a little bit of trust uh, to certain uh, providers for the layer two solutions, uh, which makes them somewhat more centralized. If, that, if that's a dirty word in the, in, in, in the in the ecosystem, so um, yeah. But like, who knows? But it may work. Uh, uh, there may be a, so we never know what kind of innovations may come. So it's possible that layer two solutions may catch on, and or somebody will invent a layer a new layer two that's very easy to use, etc. But so far, the current layer two solutions are not getting that much traction. So uh, it's uh, looking. Uh, uh, so far, the data has not proven that they're very popular. So as you said, the jury is still out. Basically, we have a lot of theoretical solutions, but no concrete answers on what's likely to happen with the Ethereum network. You, you're in a very unique position. So you obviously run Binance. Like I said, it's the you know high, most liquidity of any centralized exchange in the world. But you also started PancakeSwap. So you have a DEX and you're also you know sort of uh, dabbling in the de decentralized. Do you think? Do you think after starting PancakeSwap that you see a trend in either direction? That's that's very clear. I mean, do you think that centralized exchanges are going to lose volume to dexes over time, or or the opposite? So, uh, so let me make a minor correction there. Um, number one, I didn't start Binance Smart Chain, and I also did not start PancakeSwap. Uh, I'm a, uh, so I'm actually <laughs> so most people give that credit to me, uh, but I really don't deserve it. Um, we did help fund uh, the initial development uh, budget for uh, Binance Smart Chain. Um, it's a community uh, group. Of, it's the group, uh, a, a, a mostly similar group to the Binance Chain developer community. They came back to me, uh, to, to, to me and said, well, they want to do a smart chain uh, enabled um, a blockchain and this would be parallel. You'd be running BNB. They want a grant from us. Um, they want funding support from us. We said, I just said, yes. So we provided funding, but I was not involved in any of the design decisions. I would, I like, I, I, the, the stuff they did amazed me uh, when I was using it uh, based on public tutorials that people publish on the Binance blog, except, uh, or the Binance smart chain blog, et cetera. So I wasn't involved in that whole process other than just like, give a grant. Um, that's the same as giving like that's we we have multiple grants uh, for our community development. Um, Pancake Swap is a is a, is a, is a separate team. Um, uh, there are overlaps with uh, X. Uh, some X Binance people have joined that team, etc. So I do um, I do know them uh, and they have a good relationship with us. But I'm not in I'm not in the day to day management. Uh, I'm definitely not aware so, uh, of uh, how they do Binance uh, or Pancake Swap. Um, so the uh, so that that's a separate project. 
Um, I do endorse it because it's one of the largest projects on Binance Smart Chain. It's actually driving a lot of significant amount of volumes. It's important. The success of PancakeSwap actually improves the success of Binance Smart Chain, which is good for BNB, which we are a large holder. Um, and that actually in turn is good for Binance centralized exchange because when the BNB price goes up, it's actually good for Binance. Um, because when people want to trade BNB, um, Binance is the major venue. And a lot of the other centralized exchanges have been hesitant to list it. So all the liquidity still with us. So um, there's a lot of um, uh, sort of uh, advantages um, the uh, each uh, different uh, different Binance uh, ecosystem projects give to each other. It's like a symbiotic ecosystem, so which is great. Um, but look, I don't run those projects. Um, those projects are very independently run. Uh, we give grants from time to time just so, just to help them grow. But PancakeSwap is a very successful project. Uh, um, I think they, I believe they're, pro they're they're fairly profitable right now. They no longer need grants from us, um, so they're actually considering giving grants to other projects. So um, that's a huge success for for a project like that. And for for Binance, I really want to promote DeFi. Um, I actually think DeFi in the future will probably be bigger than centralized exchanges, and I want that to happen. Um, I really don't like the fact that centralized exchanges like Binance.com have to hold custody of users' funds. Uh, it's bad for the users. Um, uh, well, uh, most users, for the users that are really not able to hold their funds securely today, they have to do that with us. It's actually better for them right now. But it also creates a lot of burden on the uh, uh, for us. It's actually the most uh, the highest cost center security for us. We spend hundreds of millions of dollars on that. And um, if we can uh, educate users and, and build products where people can hold their own private keys securely easily, um, then we don't need to hold custody. People just trade on trade on DeFi. Um, that's uh, uh, and that's much better. That, that's definitely the eventual goal. So um, I'm not worried about disrupting Binance.com. Let's just push innovation. Uh, that that makes perfect sense. It's such an interesting point. I remember in 2017 when the exchanges seemed like you almost had no security. So obviously everybody said, "Not your keys, not your coins," and we're we're looking for ways to get their funds off exchanges. But it feels like now you guys and other exchanges have taken pretty significant leaps forward as far as the ability to secure funds. You know, obviously whitelisting and you know multiple two uh, FAs to get through a transaction and your email. Do, do you think that people's funds are largely as secure in an exchange now than if they're trying to hold them themselves? Um, I think it's different for different type of people. It depends on how it depends on the person itself. So it's not it's not the same for a for a guy who is technically capable uh, of holding their uh, keys securely themselves. Um, then they have more control with their funds on their own. Um, and for the guys local like who, who can do that, then great, you should hold your funds yourself. But for I would say that's a tiny percent of people in the population today. Um, you have to make secure backup of your seed or private key and hold that on uh, in multiple places geographically, you can't lose it. And if you become unavailable, um, you, how do you pass to your kids and loved ones? Uh, most people have not figured those kind of uh, uh, solutions out. Um, uh, there's a few, th 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 there's ways to do it, but it's relatively technical, relatively cumbersome right now. Um, so there's only a few guys who can do that. For the guys who can do that, then yeah, go ahead and hold your own keys. Uh, for 99% of the population, uh, it's actually easier for them to use a uh, centralized exchange and it's actually safer for them because they know how to deal with a password, a email and password and 2FA. Uh, whereas they don't know how to do secure backups, um, uh, multiple uh, multiple places, uh, how to do dead man switches to pass to your offsprings, et cetera. So most people don't know how to do that. 
So we need to come with, come up with tools that help people overcome those problems. And I think right now the wallets are just not strong enough to, uh, is not easy to use enough in a secure way in that sense, but it uh, will improve. So, um, so I think for different people, um, depending on how technical you are, um, the different solutions are more secure for you. Um, there's no one, uh, it's not, it, it's very dangerous to make generalizations. Sure. I mean, people are generally their own worst enemy. So anyone who, like you said, so anyone who doesn't understand it is more likely to kind of mess up something on their own if they can control their own funds. Being your own bank is very scary, I think, just for for, for most people. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm curious, what are the biggest challenges that you're you're experiencing right now? You know, like I touched on in the introduction, you're 24-7, volume is insane. And I can only imagine that um, you're seeing a massive influx of new customers yeah. and and demand how do you possibly scale to meet that so yeah we have a lot of scaling issues i think on the system side we actually spend a lot of effort uh, and on the system side it's actually a little bit easier to scale actually so because um uh, we can buy more servers and there's still a lot of work it's not just buying more servers uh, we still have to configure the systems so that it's, it's scalable. It's not a purely horizontally uh, scalable. Uh, systems are not 100% horizontally scalable. So you, we, we can't just buy a thousand machines and somehow the system will just automatically horizontally scale. Um, systems don't work like that, especially centralized exchanges where all the liquidity have to come to a central order book. Um, but on the technical side, we're actually okay. We actually done a lot of work in the past few months. Um, and we're able to handle all-time highs on all-time high without too much trouble. The part where we're really struggling is customer support. That's so you can imagine, right? So um, uh, we don't have, well, we try to do automated customer support and those are not very good because we're still living in a human world. AI is not that great right now. And uh, with real human supporting uh, supports, uh, we can't hire 10X guys and have them tweet their sums and do nothing and they'll, get, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be demoralized out of the wazoo, right? And, uh, but when the, uh, but right now compared to like even three months ago, we're handling 10X more users coming every single day. Um, so we, yeah, we can't hire 10x people, uh, customer support in three months time. Uh, we don't have the train, we can't train them. Uh, it, it just, it, it, like humans, we can't scale human teams at that, at that speed. You can't 10x your, your team uh, in three months. So we're struggling quite a bit, but we recently have caught up mostly on the backlog of CS tickets. So it took, it took us a good three, four months to catch up, but now we, tripled our team size. And, um, uh, and we also automated a lot of the uh, um, product workflows. Uh, we changed the product so that we optimize the product in a lot of places so and users do not need to contact customer support. They can use self-help in a lot of different ways, uh, including for example, if you made a deposit and forgot to put in a memo, now there's an automated way for you sure. to uh, get that yourself. Uh, so we do a lot of those automations to try to smooth, uh, sort of improve, streamline the, pro the processes. Um, but right now, customer support is definitely one of the biggest bottlenecks we're facing. And I'm spending, I'm, I have a daily call uh, where I go through uh, a number of uh, customer support issues and look at what are we doing wrong, what, what which process uh, uh, can we improve. So we look at uh, a number of so daily every day. Um, actually, every day on the senior leadership call that I have, um, we go through those. Um, so uh, it is the number one priority for us right now. And um, yeah, we, we're, it's it's a tough problem to solve. It's not that sexy. Um, but it's important. So working on it. I mean, it seems to be a problem everywhere. Certainly not unique, yeah. unique to you. And um, I think that people uh, have too high of expectations and don't understand how fast it's scaling. I mean, I understand if someone has a transaction stuck, how that's very personally disturbing yeah. for them. But uh, just hearing you 10 times 
as many people yeah. per day. I, I, there's just nothing you can you can really do about that. It it seems. Uh, I mean, those are crazy numbers. So, do you think that that uh, demand is a result of generally mainstream awareness and adoption of crypto? Is it because Dogecoin went crazy and everybody wants to find a place to trade Doge? Uh, what, what do you think the reasons are that we're seeing such an uptick in demand? So I think it's a combination of things. Uh, I think in general, it's just, uh, fundamentally, it's the number of people coming to crypto have increased 10x over the last three months. And uh, even uh, if you compare it to like a year ago, it's probably increased like uh, 20, 20, 30 fold. Um, so uh, we, I think we got out of the crypto winter. We're definitely in a bull market now, and uh, the market is just really hot. Um, there's multiple reasons contributing to it. Dogecoin uh, giving so hot does contribute to it, but not everyone trade Dogecoin. And uh, the largest, uh, and that Dogecoin isn't a large number of our customer support requests. So uh, it's it's actually traded, but it's it's not the majority of our volume. So there's no single reason that stands out. But there's just there's just a lot more activity. So like we got the uh, institutions come in, there's multiple type of institutions. We have the micro, micro strategies, which just buy the hold. Um, those guys are actually okay. They actually don't cost much load. Um, we have the high frequency traders, which are uh, actively uh, trading. We have a lot more retail guys coming in for various number of reasons. Some people come in for Dodge, some some people come in for sheep, some co people come in for other coins uh, and BNB's gone up like almost 20X over the last three months. Um, a lot of people trade BNB, uh, a lot of people trade ETC, a lot of people, ETH is all time high. So there's a lot of different reasons people people come in. We don't specifically know why people come in. We just see like, look, uh, we ha we're having all time high new user registrations uh, day after day and it's not, and it's sustained and not dropping. So, um, and we know that the system load is gonna be crazy. So um, we don't know why per se, but we can guess, um, but all of all of those are my subjective guesses. Get, uh, guesses. Um, but the data shows that it's just more people come in. So we, and uh, it's, it's a good problem to have, and it's, well, it's actually a great problem to have, <laughs> um, but, we, um, but we still have to handle it. Many, many sort of uh, early uh, uh, innovation companies because they couldn't handle growth and actually became obsolete. So we don't wanna become that. So we gotta, we gotta work pretty hard to solve this issues. Seems everybody's exhausted. Every person I talk to, traders, uh, executives, basically are like, oh, I'll sleep in the bear market and kind of seem almost risking that they could get a break for a couple of months and things would slow down. Do you ever feel that way? Oh, absolutely. Um, so uh, like right now, like, um, so from, from 9 a.m., I'm a late sleeper, late, uh, late riser. So I sleep around like 2 to 30 uh, a.m. and wake up at 9. That's my daily meeting. And then I go all, all the way until like 10, 11. Uh, I do half an hour meetings. I sometimes do 15 minute meetings. Um, so I do like basically 20, 30, 30 meetings a day. And now the days are really, really packed and every issue is relatively urgent or some, some urgency to it. Whereas in the bear market, I'm dealing with much more long-term important stuff, but not so urgent. So we're now we're kind of in the scrambling mode. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's stressful, but at the same time, it's also very rewarding. We, now, we know that the industry is growing and this is good problems to have. If you've been paying any attention to me or have been following me for any length of time, then you know I absolutely love Voyager. Every single time someone tweets me or asks me, hey Scott, where do you trade and invest? The answer is always Voyager. They offer over 50 assets to trade commission-free. I save so much money, it almost feels too good to be true. And that's not even my favorite part of Voyager. My favorite part is the insane interest that I earn. Up to 10% on my USDC, 6.25% on my Bitcoin, and 5.25% on my Ethereum. Whether I'm trading or not, I'm earning interest on what's sitting on the platform, making money literally couldn't be 
easier and there are no lockups or limits. Go to thewolfofallstreets.link slash Voyager. That's V-O-Y-A-G-E-R and download the Voyager app and use code SCOTT25 to get $25 in free Bitcoin when you create your account. What are you waiting for? Go download Voyager. Everyone knows that companies are selling your data and that your privacy online is basically non-existent. Luckily, we have our next sponsor, Mina, who is fixing that. Now, if you don't know about Mina, they're the world's lightest blockchain powered by participants using ZK Snarks to keep the blockchain a fixed size of 22 kilobytes. In comparison to Bitcoin's ledger, which is currently 336 gigabytes, you can fit 45,000 Mina blockchain proofs in the same storage space. Now, 22 kilobytes is the equivalent of the text message you sent to your grandma wishing her a happy birthday for the 95th time. 22 kilobytes is the equivalent of 10 annoying Snapchats you took letting everyone know you finally started traveling again. 22 kilobytes is so small, if it were a ship, it'd fit through the Suez Canal while the Evergreen was still stuck there. This means without running a massive node, any website, program, or startup can use their blockchain to protect and verify data without the need to run it. The ecosystem is growing fast and Mina's mainnet has just gone live, offering users a platform to build a private gateway between the real world and crypto. Visit thewolfofallstreets.link slash Mina to find out more. And what's really exciting is Mina just had their public token sale on April 13th with their official partner coin list. Once again, go to thewolfofallstreets.link slash Mina to find out more. So you're spending your time putting out fires instead of building the, the long time vision a lot of the time. Yeah, so um, anything that requires regulatory operations, um, uh, or re re regular operations, uh, I don't get involved. Uh, but there's just so much new stuff that comes in, uh, that comes up randomly that still gets escalated to me and I still have to uh, handle them somehow. So um, yeah, so we're just growing so fast that we can't, uh, there's new issues, new type of issues coming up uh, all, uh, all the time and I have to get involved. Um, just the, the all very random. Anything that we can formalize, we can put a process around it, then we put a process around it and I'm not involved. Um, so in the bear market, I was like, I, I wasn't involved in the day-to-day -day operations at all. Uh, but now I'm more involved just due to random requests. Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard you kind of comment on the fact that, for example, you cut your own hair, not because obviously you don't want to spend money on a haircut, but because you don't want to spend the time on a haircut. Yep. Um, could you ever conceivably take a week vacation? Um, I think, to be honest, even uh, so, we're going to, uh, we just started um, uh, instituting a, a block leave concept. Uh, in traditional banks, um, uh, senior, senior executives are asked to take two weeks off. Um, uh, switch your phone. Uh, don't check corporate email. Don't check corporate chats. Um, just, just, just re stay relatively on offline. Keep your phone around you in case if there's an emergency, we want to call with a phone call and get get to you uh, for emergencies. But uh, that's a standard procedure to check that the organization does not depend on any single individual. Um, and uh, during that process, if there's we have to call somebody for emergency, then that means we have a dependency on that guy. We actually we actually look at the process and how to how to optimize that so we just started instituting this now uh, and actually um we started with uh, some of our key senior ex executives and uh, i'm gonna be pretty soon i'll take a two-week block leave and we'll see how we'll see how it goes i think i think binance will be fine um so we, we are uh, actually very consciously uh doing this type of thing so that we become a much stronger and much stabler um organization that, that does not depend on any single person and especially not on me that's really, really interesting. So you're yeah. obviously seeing this massive influx of retail adoption. And then in the news, we see a massive influx of institutional adoption. You touched on it before the Coinbase, uh, excuse me, you know, through Coinbase, but uh, the micro strategies and the Teslas. 
You guys, are you also servicing those institutional clients and you're seeing that side of the demand or are you primarily focused on retail? So we also see a very uh, high uh, corresponding increase in the institutional side. So um, um, uh, many institutions do use us. Uh, so um, and uh, so we, we see growth on both sides. Uh, so it's not just uh, it's not just retail. We actually have uh, actually the institutions are very price sensitive. They're very fee sensitive, and Binance offers the lowest fees of any market in this industry. Right. And um, um, so um, they're actually very active on platform. So a lot of the institutions on board with another exchange and eventually they migrate to us because they discover that we have the lowest fees. And for any institution that trades in high volumes, that's a huge factor. Right. And so that that's obviously even a bigger factor for the people who are actively trading. Do you guys have like white glove service for, you know, those whales or institutions or are they basically uh, out there trading against the rest of us? <laughs> Uh, so uh, we do have a, a VIP uh, customer support team. Well, we have VIP account managers and uh, support teams. Um, so we do have uh, we, we have nine levels of VIP. Um, uh, so um, so uh, we do we do have uh, better. Well, we do have more specialized services for VIPs because they do they do have they do have slightly different needs. They trade very high volumes. They typically want higher limits in terms of order. Uh, so if you place orders fast enough, you'll hit a limit uh, on a certain number of orders you can place a, a, in a day. And they'll constantly be asking for increasing those because they place a very large number of orders, et cetera. So um, it is a slightly different type of a service that we need to tailor to, to those guys. Um, and so we do have a specialized uh, a VIP or um, uh, VIP team that services the uh, sort of a VI, um, basically VIP account managers. So we do have that. Um, and um, yeah, so uh, we do have specific and the, VI, the, the institutions require different type of um, uh, services. They all want sub accounts, uh, which means that they have a trading, they have a trading team or trading desk, and one one guy's a manager or leader. Uh, he moves the money around between accounts. The other guys trade, but they can't withdraw money. So they have those kind of different features to a normal user account. So um, yeah, we do we do we do provide them a slightly different uh, service team. So one of the big conversations in the space constantly that you see is that there's been major outflows from exchanges, particularly of Bitcoin, of course, uh, not speaking about other coins, but there's been this mass outflow uh, of Bitcoin from exchanges. We're seeing supply side shock. eToro ran out of Bitcoin for a weekend to sell. Is that something that you guys are actually actively seeing and managing? Uh, so we actually have seen inflows, <laughs> even when the news reporters are, are reporting that exchanges in general are seeing outflows. Uh, we have seen inflows on Bitcoin, uh, other uh, ERC-20 tokens, uh, other blockchains, and also on stable coins, uh, and to some extent also on fiat. We actually have seen net inflows. So our reserves are actually getting, well, our user reserves are actually increasing. So when I saw the news, I actually deliberately checked with our team. We said, well, are we really losing uh, a number of Bitcoins? We checked our data. We have net inflows. Um, you know, some days we have like net outflows for a day or even a week or something. But uh, over the last three months, we have definitely had net, way net, uh, uh, net inflows uh, for, for Bitcoins and for other coins. So um, I actually don't know what those other um uh, I, I'm, I'm questioning the, the validity or the, or the detailedness of those, some of those analyses. It's quite, it's quite difficult. They may not know all of our addresses, but from our perspective, every, we, have, we have been growing uh, in terms of uh, uh, assets under, under custody, even in BTC numbers. That's really interesting because I, yeah. I think that for, for macro bulls and maximalists, that's been one of the sort of calling cards for why this bull run is uh, 
proceeding. Institutions or whales come on the exchange, they buy a ton of Bitcoin, they move it into custody or into a private wallet, and it yeah. never comes back because they're going to hold it forever. Yeah, uh, I think that happens. Um, and that happens. Uh, but so far, we um, we have... Uh, there, there are guys who, who do that. There's absolutely guys who do that. But so far, we have seen a net inflow of Bitcoin. Um, so um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they did that analysis. That's really, really, really interesting. And I'm glad to hear it uh, straight from yeah. you because I haven't been able to ask anyone who's actually in the know about that question. So we touched earlier, obviously, on BNB and basically all of those things that have continued to be bullish for BNB. The price has gone absolutely astronomical. Um, your number three market cap. Do you think that BNB could become number one? Well, um, I think that's not out of the question. It's anything's possible. Um, so it's definitely something that I would. Um, I want to work really hard to contribute to that. To, to that, um, I want. Uh, we want to. I want to see it happen. And I think the Binance uh, community. Um, uh, uh, when I say the Binance community, is not just the Binance employees. Um, so I think the Binance community, including the Binance Smart Chain guys, um, they're working all working super hard. And uh, Binance Smart Chain is a big contributor to that. Um, uh, there's there's th four to five x more people using uh, Binance Smart Chain compared to Ethereum on a daily basis. Um, they pay uh, well because the fees are much lower, so they need much less money to pay for the fees. So maybe that actually did not contribute to the price increase that much. Um, but we want to offer uh, uh, open access for people all around the world, not just not not just for the guys who can afford like I don't know 150 bucks or 200 dollars uh, per transaction fees. So, um, but eventually, we believe more users. Uh, uh, as long as we uh, have more users, um, the popularity will over uh, will win. So, um, I think it's very possible. I'm not making uh, promises or guarantees, so this no, is not a prediction. Not. I, yeah. I don't I hope people don't read it that way. But um, uh, yeah, but it's something that I, I absolutely hope to happen. And I'm definitely biased, uh, biased uh, favor, favorite, have biased favoritism over uh, with uh, BNB. So um, that's that's public. Um, so yeah, hope it happens. I, I think it's definitely imaginable. Yeah, absolutely. And so. Do you see a world where you guys ever go public like Coinbase did? Obviously, there's a lot of people in the community who say Coinbase should have minted a security token like BNB and they should have gone that route. But I don't think that could have happened in the United States under this regulatory environment. But is there a, is there a chance that you guys go public in the future? And if so, how would you establish your valuation? So I think right now, um, well, there's a couple of things there. Uh, I think uh, number one, BNB is not a security token. Right. <laughs> Just to clear that okay. out, uh, BNB has a lot of utility, very similar to Ethereum now. So um, it's very, very yeah. clear. Uh, now it's easier to explain. Um, but um, back to the question, though, um, I think um, um, so. Binance.com, we right now with cash flow sufficient. Um, there are many companies who does not IPO that do really well. I always use Bloomberg as an example because I used to work there, and it's a private company that did really well. It's owned by a billionaire founder. Uh, Michael Bloomberg. So um, um, this really, you, you don't have to IPO. Most uh, well-run uh, companies actually stay private. Only only a small number of them are public. Uh, having being a public company is good in in, in some ways. That's that's pros and cons. Um, this uh, we do. Binance do have a lot of um, what we call local exchanges. For example, if we look at Binance US, uh, which services exclusively the US uh, um, uh, market. Um, now Coinbase have a playbook to IPO, and um, if we if, if Binance US if they do everything that Coinbase does, then it's possible they will raise VC money in the US and they will, uh, uh, they may IPO. Uh, I think it's unlikely they will issue a BNB two uh, or, or BNB US, so they will right. not issue additional coin. Um, so um, so 
Um, yeah, but so it's conceivable that uh, they may they may go they may go that route again. Uh, that 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 team is ran relatively independently, um, and there's other Binance entities. Well, there's Coin Market Cap, for example. We don't know if it's gonna if if it can IPO. There's uh, other entities. We have Trust Wallet. We have uh, a bunch of other things. Uh, we have many different portfolio companies. Uh, some of them may, may IPO. Some of them may not. Uh, I think each 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 project each company is gonna have their own reasons for IPO or not. But for Binance.com. We don't see a need right now. We ca we cash we cash flow is sufficient uh, enough so to to fund our expansion and growth. And uh, uh, doing an IPO takes a lot of energy and effort away from the funders and the the, the senior leadership team is is a huge exercise that people don't really uh, don't really realize. And I think at this point, given that we're really not short uh, uh, short on funds and we don't have that many early investors waiting to exit, um, so um, and we don't have VC, we don't have that many VC investors pushing us to do that. And I think Coinbase was on that course uh, from many years ago, so it's kind of hard to ch change midways. Whereas we did an I, we did an ICO for BNB, and we we have a lot of BNB. We the, the business of making money, so um, yeah, we don't see the need to do that. Um, so that's not it's like look in the world. Just because somebody else does something doesn't mean you have to do it. Um, sure. Each person has different ways to, of doing business, and uh, I think Binance can grow very healthily without doing an IPO right now. Uh, if things change, we can always say, well, we will do an IPO. The options there. Um, so um, yeah, so that's basically the current situation. You talked about how you have sort of these sub entities, Trust Wallet, Coin Market Cap, the uh, you know Binance US. Um, what was the thinking behind the Coin Market Cap acquisition, and how does that play into your overall strategy? So uh, our fundamental things, we want to provide access to crypto. So we want to have people, we want to help people access crypto. Um, and with access, there's multiple ways to, although there's multiple definitions or subcategories of access. Um, the exchange, for example, the, uh, the Binance exchange, either centralized, um, uh, the, uh, the DEX, et cetera, that provides access to liquidity. So if you want to buy, sell um, uh, a cryptocurrency, that's the menu you go. Um, for example, Trust Wallet uh, provides access to storage. So now you can store your coins securely uh, yourself. You hold your own keys. So this is, a, uh, uh, this is a, what we call a decentralized uh, wallet. Uh, where your funds are now central uh, stored on some uh, third-party custodian like a centralized exchange, and, and so we have we offer that product. Um, and for Coin Market Cap, it offers access to information. Um, so if you want to learn about a, a coin, if you want to research about a coin, um, this is where you go. Um, and this is actually the most popular. Well, it's, uh, it's it was the most popular website in the in, in the industry. Now it's actually the second most popular website, actually second to Binance.com. So. Uh, uh, so it's good to have the two the sort of most visited websites in, in the industry. And um, uh, we also have Binance Academy, uh, uh, which is an educational uh, portal, which is also access to, uh, to crypto information. Um, and so we want to provide access to crypto. And so Binance, uh, so CoinMarketCap is in one of those uh, areas. And we want to build a product where you just a lot of information on crypto. Do you think that we get to that point where crypto is it's just a part of everyday life for every person everywhere. And just like your money or going to the ATM or using a credit card, this just becomes a part of that mainstream conversation on a day-to-day -day basis for your average person everywhere. Absolutely, uh, I think absolutely we'll get there. I think, in fact, it would be it's, it would be like a little bit like the internet, where people will talk about the internet, uh, the information superhighway for a few years. Uh, we'll build other infrastructure for it. Um, so uh, for the for the internet, people were laying cables, and you have you have the cable, you have the modems, the cables, and people talk about TCP/IP. 
people talk about HTML, um, and then people don't talk about it anymore. And so right. people just use it. It's ubiquitous, right? So people don't talk. Don't say, "Hey, I'm going to use the internet today. I'm going to use the internet to call my mom." People just say, "Look, I'm going to call my mom using I don't know um, WhatsApp or some uh, uh, some some messenger app." Um, and I think crypto will get to that point. Uh, right now, we're talking about crypto education, uh, how to use wallets, um, how to use exchanges, uh, how do you pay for stuff. Um, so we talk about all this like really sort of fundamental technologies things, which is really hard to, for, for a layman person to understand. Um, later on, we should, the conversation in, in 5, 10, 20 years, the conversation should be, um, I'm just sending some money to some guy. And that that's implicit crypto. Uh, he's sending some coin to some guy, right. um, and there may be a conversion involved. The guy may receive it, may get a different coin. So I think we'll absolutely get to that point, um, and people will just understand crypto like they understand the internet, and they actually won't talk about it anymore. Uh, so people don't mention the word internet that much today. So I, I will definitely get there. Um, so in, in, I would say, but it will take a couple of decades. Uh, most people uh, kind of un underestimate how but they kind of eager. That's like, well, if this is the case, why don't why doesn't it happen tomorrow? It takes. It takes years to build this infrastructure. It takes years to build this, all, all of these things. Uh, and it takes years for mass population to understand a new technology or new, a new environment and adopt it. So uh, I think it's going to take a few, like, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 years. Yeah, you just alluded to my next question, which was like, even if we get the mainstream awareness, we're still really far away on infrastructure, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's just a part of a nascent industry growing, but I still don't think that your average person understands what they're doing when they interact with a wallet. Yeah. So it's really hard to understand, right? So that we got to, most people don't understand, did not learn the private case, public case in school. Uh, even the tech guys, many of them don't, don't, don't learn that. And then they don't learn about elliptical encryption. They don't, they don't learn about uh, disk encryption for backups, um, all this other, all this concept that's involved. Um, it's just very uh, clunky right now. Um, so in the internet days, people have to think about modems, uh, baud rates. Um, people have to think about like uh, all kind of like dial-ups, AD, ADSL versus a cable, all this other stuff, right? So like, um, uh, so in the early days, the things are very clunky. Um, and over time, things got better, but it takes time. So we're, we're, we're working really hard to build the infrastructure for this space. And that's what Binance wants to be. So we want to uh, solve some of the infrastructure problems, um, not just an exchange, um, just anything that helps people use crypto, uh, we want to do. So, um, um, so that's kind of what we want to do. And it will take, take us and the industry many years to do this well. Um, it just takes time. Yeah, I mean, to be to another example, right? On the internet, video conferencing was like a really old concept, yeah. but it's only really recently that it started kind of working. In the last five years, it started to work well. Um, but before that, uh, video conferencing wasn't used that much, and it wasn't that uh, the technology wasn't there. Even today, we get like, "Well, hey, can you hear me?" You now the internet broke. We still get issues like that. So yeah. it's gonna take many years to get there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so interesting that so many of the ideas that are popular today have existed forever. Even yeah, like yeah. Uber and ride sharing, like ride sharing, you know, people invented that 20 years ago. They just didn't have phones so that they could make yeah. it easy. <laughs> right. So it yeah. kind of speaks to the same sort of thing. I think a lot of people in this industry are trying things or but probably are too early because of the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you got to keep trying because Without the earlier failures, we don't learn the lessons um, to build the thing that works. So video conferencing, video compression technology was being uh, discussed like in 1995, right? So there's a uh, DivX and XVD, uh, XDV, um, uh, real audio, a bunch of things that kind of worked, but it took many iterations to, to get to the point where we actually can have a live 
video stream and talk about things in you know, relatively high quality now. But even in many countries today, internet video conferencing, conferencing still doesn't work. If you yeah. try to call somebody, I don't know, in some uh, different part of the world, say Africa, China, North Korea, it, it still doesn't work. Yeah, it, it's funny because we always hear this comparison that crypto is like the dot-com bubble of the late 90s, right? And uh, people ask me that question all the time and I say that may be true because a lot will fail. But to yeah. me, it's a positive because it means that we have the smartest people in the world rushing to innovate on a new technology. And of course, some will fail, but from that will rise you know, the most important companies of the future to some degree. Do you think that we will see you know, a mass a mass failure of 90% of the projects that we're seeing now moving forward and that, you know, only a few will really survive and be important. Actually, I absolutely think that will happen. Um, that's, that's, that's in every industry. We've seen that in the internet industry. Um, and um, we're definitely going to, we're definitely going to see that in the crypto industry. So um, there's a number of, uh, there's a number of factors contributing to it. Um, uh, number one, the main thing is network effect and the economy of scale. So uh, the uh, the, uh, the big the successful projects attract uh, more and more users. More users attract more users. More liquidity attracts more liquidity. Um, and then um, the uh, larger uh, businesses are able to invest much more on security, technology development, etc. Because when when they make that investment, they apply to say. 10 or hundreds of millions of users, whereas a small startup will no longer be able to kind of make those kind of investments. Um, so this economy of scale, the small companies can be more innovative. Um, so there's balancing forces, but I think the, um, there's definitely very strong network effects in new businesses today, uh, given that we're living on the internet and especially with blockchain. So, um, um, so I think uh, there will be, uh, and most projects, uh, most startups will fail. Um, that's just the nature of startups. Um, so uh, I think I, I do think that 90 something percent, 90 plus percent of projects that we see we see we ever see will fail. Um, only a small number, uh, like how many e-commerce websites are there? How many search engines do we do use? Um, so it's uh, how many social media? Well, we that's a lot of social media, but how many do you, how many are really big? Um, so there's only a handful. So um, I think this very similar effect is going to play out in crypto for sure. What are some of the things that are exciting you that you are seeing being built? I know obviously you guys have made a move into NFTs. I think that that's yeah. obviously the one of the big catchphrases that everybody wants to talk about now. Is that you know somewhere that you see uh, putting a lot of energy? Yeah. So we actually have yeah we did uh, we, do, we actually have multiple teams working on NFT uh, marketplaces. Um, there's a centralized one on Binance.com. There's decentralized ones on chain, uh, similar to the existing solutions out there. Um, so we're working on multiple things, uh, uh, projects there, um, and it's been very, very, relatively decentralized. I don't drive those projects; different people just right. doing different things, and we'll see uh, whether they succeed or not. I do think NFTs will stay. Um, I think NFTs now we are uh, we have unlocked a uh, a new mechanism mechanism for artists or content creators to much better monetize their work. Uh, using the blockchain, using NFTs, um, so now you can sell your uh, work to um, to the entire world using NFTs on the blockchain, and you can get millions of dollars for it. Um, so people got six million and then sixty nine million, um, and uh, uh, and they're very innovative economic models where the content creators still get a percentage of each transfer. Um, so the content creators actually benefit from multiple transactions over time. 
Um, so that's that's really cool as well. So um, this is uh, uh, this may or may not be better than the traditional methods, but this offers a, another option, which I think for for a lot of content creators is actually much better than the traditional methods they 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 use. They have to go back a publisher. The publisher have to accept them. They have to like I don't know the whole whole thing, but it, what I heard is very clunky. Yeah. Um, this is similar to ICOs of what I call blockchain fundraising. Um, uh, you, you unlock the way for entrepreneurs to raise funds globally using cryptocurrencies and uh, is able to fund some of the fastest growing uh, businesses uh, in history, including uh, Binance is one of those examples. Uh, we, if, if it wasn't for the ICO, we're probably doing six month cycles for fundraising. We're probably grow, growing at a much slower speed. Uh, we will not have the user base. So a lot of this new use case, that makes sense. Um, there's a lot of scammers using ICOs, but again, 99% uh, or 90 something percent of the project will fail. Um, so, uh, but there are core use cases for this new technologies, which are very valuable. And I, I think NFT is one of those things that now is unlocking for artists and content creators. Um, and there's a lot more use cases for it in the future as well that we have not imagined, but the current understanding of it, I think just based on that, it's going to stay. It's always interesting watching companies sort of pivot with the newest trends. You talk about how like many ICOs are, I swear there's a new launch pad pitched to me every single day and companies, yep. you know, and we saw the same thing last year. It was like, you had these companies that existed for years and then all of a sudden everybody was DeFi. Now yeah, everybody's yeah. a launch pad and everybody's NFTs. Do you think that that's yeah. just a natural progression or do you think that people are chasing? Uh, well, there's definitely an element of people chasing the hottest topic, like uh, hottest uh, buzzword, and they want to put that in their pitches. And um, um, so that's definitely an element of that. But there's also, um, but there's also a uh, always a small number of projects that led by very strong funders. They're very serious about being, they're doing the real work, building the platform, etc. And they, they may succeed. Um, so um, every day, there's like probably thousands of new exchanges coming online. And by, even in 2017, that's the case. In 2014, was like, in 2014, it's probably hundreds of exchanges coming online every single day. So people try, and we don't know if they're pure scams or they, they just fail. Um, but sometimes you get, you get an exchange that, that uh, you get a project that, that do well, and they become the largest in the world and they're able to provide more services to users, et cetera. And they're able to improve the service level in the industry. Um, so um, once it, so, but all of that have to come through experiments. We can't centrally plan them. So it's actually the, the, the process with failures is actually important for innovation. So it's just part of it. Yeah. So I'm curious, obviously you've made a ton of money. <laughs> you've built this thing. And as you talk about it, it seems like you just work and you work and, and you work. What keeps you going on, on a day-to-day -day basis and, and what, you know, is driving you that you're seeing in the future that keeps you excited and ready to go every single day? Because I think a lot of us, not in a position like yours, even at our own lower level, are kind of burning out and, and, and trying to find that focus. Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways to explain that. Um, the most fundamental question we ask is, what do we want to do? Let's say if, uh, well, let's say if I have all the choices in the world to uh, uh, what uh, I, have full, I have full control on what I want to do, uh, or what I can do, what would I choose to do? Like it's not sipping martinis on the on, on the beach, it's not playing golf because those things get boring after like a day or two, or even probably even shorter. Uh, and um, um, and so what am I gonna do? Um, so I uh, so you want to do something that's meaningful and impactful. Um, so uh, people sometimes do get burned out, um, but I think well, it's important for people to find something meaningful for them to do. So um, um, I always use the uh, 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 building the cathedral as the example, right? So that's a re relatively common um, uh, story that people understand. 
it, you ask the first guy who's laying bricks on a wall, you ask them what they're doing. They say, well, I'm just laying, I'm laying bricks on a wall. Can't you see? Uh, you ask the next guy, what are you doing? The, guy, the, the guy's laying bricks on the wall, but he says, well, I'm, I'm building a cathedral and he's very proud of it. Um, so once you have that kind of uh, for a deeper meaning and the higher goal, uh, even the, if the work you're doing is a little bit mundane, kind of boring, you actually do not get tired you, you, because your, your, mental, your, your mental mindset is different. So for me, um, um, like even though I'm dealing with customer support issues, which is not sexy, we're dealing with user complaints on Twitter. Um, but for me, it's, we're, we're, I'm working to increase the freedom of money for people all around the world. I'm providing access to crypto, which could improve people's lives and financial likely, fin uh, uh, financial uh, situations. And I think that's a hugely meaningful thing for me to do. Uh, I think I'm actually very fortunate to be able to be able to have a chance to do that. Uh, most people are not given, are not in a, in a position to have to make somewhat of a meaningful impact. Whereas I think in the position where Binance is, uh, we can make a relatively meaningful contribution to that improvement of uh, freedom of money, uh, which I think we're just very lucky to be part of this process. So for me. Uh, I'm just, I, I feel fortunate to be in this position to be able to do what I do. So when I wake up in the morning, it's not, it's not so much a work for me. Um, so if I get tired, I take, uh, I take, I, I take a break. Um, and sometimes even if I get really tired, I take a nap during the day. Uh, and then when I'm tired, I go to sleep. Uh, when I'm hungry, I eat. Um, so it's not like I'm stressing myself out trying to do this thing. Um, so I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, so this is the thing I enjoy doing and I don't stress myself out. I don't overwork, but uh, I do work very hard. I, I think I probably do work harder than most people uh, 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 on, on average. Um, so, but it's me, it's, it's, this is the thing that I'm, that this is the thing that's, that's making meaning to my life. This is the thing that's meaningful to do. There's not, that's not a whole lot else to do. I, I, I still chill out. I chill out with friends. I sometimes go play some game just to relax. Sometimes take a walk, um, go for a swim. I still do those kind of things, but those are not my missions in life. Those are the things I, I can take a break and do. Um, and it's also, it's also okay. Um, so I think I have a pretty healthy balance, but um, yeah. So, but for me, uh, I'm just really lucky to be able to do what I think is really meaningful. So for me, I wake up uh, doing Binance and go to sleep doing Binance. This is what I do. I'm curious if that sort of focus and belief in your mission is also how you overcome all of the negativity and hate and trolling, because I mean, we all see it to our own degree, but I see, I see what you and everyone in your position take. And I, to me, I don't care how big you get, it's still not fun to be called a scammer or a crook and those things. I mean, how do you overcome that and not let it affect you? Um, you, 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 de you develop you develop the ability to handle that over time. So, uh, yeah. uh, so for me, like nowadays, I don't even see them. Uh, I just I I'm, I have a much stronger so like what, what uh, like what complaints. So I care about more about the real customer complaints where like uh, but they are they're unreasonable customers. They're customers who like trade on futures and they they they, they lose money and they say well uh, your system was unstable and <laughs> yeah. return my return my money to me. I'm like well look. Um, that's not what well, if we do that, we will not we won't have a business uh, at the, the, the next minute. So um, um, there, there are a lot of neg negative stuff, but I think um, for anything, once you reach a certain size, you're going to have negative, uh, you're going to have negative um, uh, uh, comments about you. The key thing is separating the constructive negative stuff that you actually have to improve on 
and versus like the, the guys who are just trying to make your life miserable, they're just complaining, whining. Um, so it's, it, it's a fine balance between there. So we don't want to be overly arrogant and just ignore everybody who's, who gives us negative comments. Uh, we, uh, we actively want to listen for the constructive ones, but I have a very good filter. If I see a guy who calls me like, hey, you're a schmuck or whatever, that's fine. Um, I don't care. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care. Yeah. Um, so for me, I don't care what people call me. I don't, I don't care about people's perception on me so far. I just want to be able to make more meaningful uh, impact on what I do. So I try to look for ways to improve. I try to look for ways to gather feedback. And but uh, um, yeah, but the the negative. But I know uh, a very I know very strongly in my core that we're doing the we're doing good things. We're doing right things. We're doing ethical things. We're not hurting anybody. We're actually going out of our way to protect users. So uh, knowing that the other things don't bother me. It's it's impressive, and you do develop that thick skin with time. I have to imagine that maybe five years ago it was a different conversation, and maybe it hurt a little bit more. There was a little sting to it. <laughs> From time to time, it still, it still it still it still bothers me sometimes. Like sometimes you get something that get that gets into into your skin, so you still get that. It's not hundred percent, but yes, with practice, yeah. the thick skin comes with practice. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it, absolutely. It good, over time. good to know. Good to know. Yeah. So I, I know we're we're running out of time here. Um, it went very quickly. I'm just curious. We've talked about obviously a future bear market to rest and all of those things. How uh, this current cycle? I mean, how big do you think that this can go? I not you're, I know that you're not in the um, in the business of price predictions, and nobody likes right, to right, right. throw out a price because we don't have crystal balls. But I mean, do you think that we're in the early part of this cycle? You know, or that we? Where do you think we stand? Yeah, so um, a disclaimer, disclaimer um, it's impossible to predict the future. So um, I don't make those kind of predictions. But um, based on historic patterns, we do see four-year cycles for crypto. And we, we see four-year cycles even in traditional like stock markets, et cetera. We don't know why. And for crypto, there's a, there's a more uh, fundamental reason. Bitcoin happens every four okay. years. Um, that's like a big factor in crypto. And um, um, so uh, mass markets, I guess, go through this yearly well, or, or on a year horizon, four-year cycles. Um, and we look at 2017, uh, 2013, there was a peak. 2007, end of 2017, there's a peak. And now we're in 2021. Um, we're not sure uh, if it's going to be end of this year or uh, I don't know. Um, and uh, there's there's some data we can look at. Um, well, uh, for 2017, the peak, uh, we saw user regist registrations going up like crazy and then drops. Uh, whereas right now we see user registrations going crazy and way past the 2017 mark and they just, and they, they, they maintaining it, they're still growing. So um, we have not seen that kind of sharp drop, like spike sharp drop off, uh, which typically marks a, a, a sort of an end of a bull market, if you will, when you look back. But again, I don't know if that will happen in this cycle or not. And also, if you look at the sort of uh, 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 more, the number of users in in the industry right now, we're looking at 10x or 20x more users than 2017 already. Um, and if we look at 2017 compared to 2013, 2000, like 2013, the peak was like a thousand dollars, and then 2017 is twenty thousand dollars. So that's a 20x increase. If you look at before that, there was like there was a peak at two hundred dollars. There was a well, there was a peak at uh, like thirty five dollars. Um, so each cycle goes like in, in uh, previously goes in like fairly um, magnitudes differences. Right. Um, again, again, it's not a um, prediction in the for this cycle will definitely go or higher or, or lower. We 
I think based on the patterns, we most likely will continue to grow. So we're not at the end of the bull market. Um, I think that's a there's a higher chance for that to happen. But it's also possible we'll just dip tomorrow and we'll go into a winter. Everything's possible. But I think based on patterns right now, based on the number of user registrations we see, uh, we're doing everything to prepare for more growth uh, for the industry. So um, as a business, we have to prepare for that. Makes perfect sense. And I know we're out of time. So where can everybody follow you and check out what you're doing after this? Um, so yeah, I mean, well, most people for uh, Twitter is the is a social media tool that I use to engage with the community. I just find that the uh, the, the 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 sort of Twitter um, the way Twitter interacts, um, people can tweet at me. People uh, I sometimes see, it, sometimes don't. Um, that's probably the the easiest way to to do. So I do have a decent following on Twitter right now. Um, I do check people who uh, who are trying to tweet at me. Um, but there's a lot of noise, but so I'm, I will not see everything. But um, Twitter is probably the best way to uh, to sort of follow me or or or, or, or just. But, um, I look at all the random stuff I think about during the day and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah th that's probably the best place. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I, especially after you describing your schedule, it's very flattering that you can uh, spare an hour. So thank you very much. And I look forward to uh, catching up again down the road and seeing where you're at. Sure. Uh, thanks, Scott. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me. And um, yeah, so uh, hopefully we'll, we'll chat again soon. We will. Stop.